I, in some ways, I feel like I literally have been preparing for this my whole life because I don't see preparing for the election as preparing for the election. I feel like we're preparing for the extrication of white supremacy and patriarchy and all those things, right? Because this man is not just this man. This man is a an expression of something that's been here the whole time that it just wasn't as loud, but it was there. It was like, you know, the song playing on repeat for your whole life that you all of a sudden turn the volume up, right? So I have a hard time seeing this as separate from what my parents taught me to do, right? In a lot of ways, this is an exciting moment for me because I'm like, finally, damn, we're finally having the conversation. Shit, y'all been pretending all this time. Citizen Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Citizen Podcast. This is Carrie Kelly. This is another powerful session from the 2020 Citizen Summit on Building a Politics of Care, featuring Nalini Stamp from Working Families Party, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, author of Radical Dharma, Anasa Troutman of The Big We, and Kareen Luck, organizer extraordinaire. What I learned from this conversation is that building a politics of care is multidimensional. It's telling a new story of who we are and who we are becoming. It's building community depth and power wherever we are. It's going up against old systems of oppression even while we dream up new systems of liberation. And it's doing the internal work of decolonizing and deconstructing our own beliefs so that we can live into our greatest potential together. This is the practice of politics that is internal and external, that is individual and collective, that is cultural and systemic, that is tactical and transformative, that is resistant and imaginative. And as Nalini reminds us, we can be all of those things. And we need to check it out. So welcome everyone to this beautiful Saturday evening here in in New York, which is where uh, I'm coming in from. I know folks are all around the country and uh, in places where things are feeling a lot more um, difficult right now. So we welcome you in however you're arriving with whatever's going on for you and whatever you need this evening. Um, I will introduce our speakers and then we'll sort of jump right in um, to this conversation on the politics of care. So our amazing panelists today, um, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, once called the most intriguing African-American Buddhist by Library Journal, and one of our wisest voices on social evolution by Chris Tippett. Rev. Angel Kyoto Williams Sensei is an author, maverick, spiritual teacher, master trainer, and founder of Transformative Change. She has been bridging the worlds of personal transformation and justice since the publication of her critically acclaimed book, Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace. Ordained as a Zen priest, she is a sensei, the second black woman recognized as a teacher in the Japanese Zen lineage. Her co-authored book, Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love and Liberation, get it if you don't have it, is a powerful wake-up journey that is igniting communities, activists, Buddhists and beyond. 
to have the conversations necessary to become more awake and aware of what hinders liberation of self and society. Fierce and grounded, Angel is known for her unflinching willingness to both sit with and speak, and that's true, uncomfortable truths with love. So welcome, welcome. Nalini Stamp, who you just heard. Nalini Stamp is who we follow for all things political. She's the national organizing director. I know that's no longer true. You've got a better, sexier title. Strategic Partnerships. She'll pop it in the chat. Director at the Working Families Party. She works with um, leaders and culture makers and groups across the country um, building progressive infrastructure and building progressive politics. I met Nalini on the ground at Occupy Wall Street, where she was helping bridge the gap between labor, community-based organizations, and Occupy activists. Since then, if there's a movement you, you love, Nalini has probably been a part of it. She's been deeply involved in social movement work around economic and racial justice across the country and around the world. And you can often find her leading marches and rallies with song and mic checking at direct actions. And she is a real sister friend to me. Gotta say it, my comrade. And finally, Anasa Troutman, a writer, producer, and entrepreneur. Anasa Troutman has dedicated her work to the importance of culture and the power of love. As CEO of her company, Culture Shift Creative, Anasa works to build and execute strategies for artists and organizations that are aligned with her vision of a loving world and her belief in creativity as a pathway to personal, community, and global transformation. Anasa Troutman makes a powerful case for culture as a viable approach for social impact. In her powerful TEDx talk, she asks us to go beyond the work for justice and dares us to cultivate a culture centered in radical love that creates sustainable joy for all. Ooh, I'm excited. Welcome, 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 everyone. And for those folks who are on this morning, and we did our uh, movement ecosystem uh, training, I think you could see here we are, this is, we have an ecosystem, an overlapping, beautiful ecosystem here this evening. So the first question. Um, and we'll, this is to, to all of you, sort of a, a big picture question uh, to start with. We have, uh, it is the eve uh, of 50 days uh, until the election. It's gonna sit with them. And at the end, we'll talk more about like really concrete, like things to do. But for now, we really wanna ask you, the three of you, how are you preparing yourself spiritually and strategically for the coming 50 days? Of course, knowing that that's, that's not the end. Um, I'm wondering, Nalini, you look right. Do you want to go first? <laughs> Thank you, <Yeah. laughs> Sure. Um, so, yeah, Nalini, um, I'm... Uh, from the People's Republic of Brooklyn on Lenape and Canarsie land. Um, and yeah, the eve of 50, whew, whew, um, 50 days to the election. Well, 
prepping in a lot of, of, of different ways. I think one just mentally and spiritually um, reminding myself that our movement and our organizations, individuals have been prepping for this moment for a really long time. Um, we've spent the last, not just four years, but decades um, building infrastructure um, across the spectrum in faith communities, in our social networks, in our spiritual networks, in our organizations, in our political networks to actually take on, um, I'm going to use a Star Wars reference here, but Darth Vader. Um, and so, and the empire. And so I, I do, when I just remember that, even though I get anxious a lot about what the next six weeks are going to mean, um, even though, just to be clear, election day is not even the end of it. Um, just so we know we have to actually prep ourselves and understanding that we will not know the election on election night. Um, and we're going to be going through this until it is not going to be the, I mean, nobody's really be drinking in bars right now, but it's not going to be the like, you know, election night victory parties that we're used to. It's going to be a long haul. So just reminding myself what's at stake, what's ahead, but that we've been prepping for this. Um, and also reminding us that our ancestors are with us. Um, I fundamentally believe that the ancestors that fought off fascism during World War II are with us and guiding us in some way. The ancestors that fought off, um, you know, dictatorships in Latin America are with us and guiding us in some way. And that we have community across this world that are with us and are watching us and what we do in the next um, six weeks. So for me, that is what's grounding me and prepping me. And to be honest, I think another thing is just knowing that, and I think we all need to know in our, in our movement and in our world, really what's happening. Because what this administration has done is, is, you know, is purposely throwing us off keto so we are not confident with what's going to happen purposely continuing to, it's like boxing. Um, it is purposely trying to throw us off our guard. And so we need to just understand, we won't know the election till election day, um, that we do have power because we built power for a really long time and that we're not going down without a fight. And that's what's really grounding me in the eve of 50 days to the election. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Rev Angel. Do you go next? And you're muted, just so you... Yeah. Unmuted now? There you are. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I feel, you know, I was just saying to someone that about, uh, about a year in when I realized that um, the current president, um, unelected president was going to, was not going to go like run away and, and go hide somewhere uh, for, for the responsibility. Uh, within a, a month or two of that, it then dawned on me that he wasn't going to leave. And so I feel like I have been preparing for um, this, you know, not in the 50 days, like I feel like it last really seriously um, you know, two years solidly. I mean, because if if the only thing between you and an onslaught of cases, you know, that will put you in prison for the rest of your, uh, you know, the, the 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 few years you have left on the planet, 
if the only thing between you and that is, you know, staying <clears throat> where you are and you have, you have the military, you have a, um, a rogue military militia at, at your disposal. Uh, why would you not? I would. <laughs> so, uh, that, that has been with me for a really long time, along with thought of, you know, where's a lawyer in Amsterdam and, you know, an immigration lawyer in Amsterdam and all of those kinds of things. Um, but, but for the, the, the brass tacks of practice and, and, and preparation, it, it has really been to, for, for, for me to ground myself and also to grab whoever I can and, and begin to really ground people in a different kind of, a, a different way of knowing and being, particularly activists, um, and particularly, uh, you know, people that have at, at some point in the, their life come to realize that navel gazing, you know, for those of us in formal spiritual practices, that navel gazing isn't going to isn't going to save us and isn't going to do anything for, you know, <laughs> if we don't have nasals to, navels to gaze at anymore. Um, so I've really been deep in the, you know, what feels like the work of reconnecting, helping people to reconnect to themselves, to actually ground in the truth of uh, their, their own s fundamental stability, regardless of the conditions outside, that that is the taproot that we're able to draw from to, to be able to reconnect to the source. And, and, and I think first and foremost, to know that that is possible, right? To know that, that to, to know, you know, as Nalini was saying, it's like, you know, our ancestors like did this, we're not the first ones. And we, um, you know, by all grace of the actions that we take in this period of time, we won't be the last ones. Um, I think, pulling back the uh, veil on, on some kind of a neat, you know, I think what everyone's saying, like some kind of a neat conclusion to this, like there's a November 3rd, 4th kind of thing happening. It's like, no. Um, so, you know, pulling back the Band-Aid, you know, tearing the Band-Aid off of our um, sense of like what this is, that we are, we are far beyond the pale. Uh, you know, we've been far beyond the pale, but we're really going to go beyond the pale. And also to do that with a, with a sense of that we are part of a, uh, you know, of a continuum, you know, that I, I am proof, I am living proof um, that, that people that had no, no business uh, thinking that there were possibilities for hope and freedom uh, did so. Uh, and I'm the living proof of that. So to deny that and to kind of put tuck my you know head head in my tail is to deny the the truth of my my very existence. My existence proves that we have what it takes um, in our in our genes and our DNA. Um, and I think in this particular moment in time, we are actually really finally at a moment where we can we can lock arms really together in a way that I think that this country has never seen. And that is extraordinarily hopeful. I guess it's my turn, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a trick question because... Um, in some, this is, I'm so dramatic. Golly, my Leo always comes out every time. I, in some ways, I feel like I literally have been preparing for this my whole life because I don't see preparing for the election as preparing for the election. I feel like we're preparing for the, um, the 
extrication of white supremacy and patriarchy and all those things, right? Because, I mean, this this man is not just this man. This man is a an expression of something that's been here the whole time that it just wasn't as loud, but it was there. It was like, you know, the song playing on repeat for your whole life that you all of a sudden turn the volume up, right? So I don't, I have a hard time seeing this as separate from what my parents taught me to do, right? This is the moment. In a lot of ways, this is an exciting moment for me because I'm like, finally, damn, we're finally having the conversation. Shit, y'all been pretending all this time. I didn't mean to cuss twice. I'm sorry. That's just how I feel. Like, <laughs> I just feel like we, like we've been pretending like this wasn't what was in the White House the whole time, the whole time, the whole time. And so now that we have somebody who is not afraid or, yeah, who's not afraid to just say what it is, you know, now there are more of us who are activated in a more intense way. And I'm grateful for that. But I don't know in one sense that, that I'm doing anything different than I've always done, right? Just to prepare my, my own sovereign, spiritual and physical, emotional body for, right, for ousting the terror and um, the very practical and tactical thing that I've been doing is really like thinking about the story that we should be telling. And because the truth is, it shouldn't be. <laughs> the reason I think, I don't know if this is true, but my current theory is the reason why we have to prepare so hard because we're going to have to fight so hard to, to make this election go the way we want to is because we're not telling the right story because um, this, this dude is ludicrous. Like he's ludicrous. And more people should be able to say, hey, this is just not a good idea. Like, it's, uh, like, it's obvious, guys. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? And I have really been um, thinking about how we tell a story that makes truth sexy. Like, don't you want to live in a world where we tell the truth, where we know all the things and where everybody can live in that truth and learn how to process together and and live in a world where everybody gets honored and loved on and has what they need? Like, why is that not a sexy story? Like, why is that not a story that we want to live into? And how are we not conveying um, to, to each other the vision for the world, right? Because the vision that I hear when I listen to the RNC, I'm like, yep, if I, if I believe the history that is the context for the story that they tell to get people to do what they want them to do, I mean, like, it's, I get it. I get it, right? But their story is full of lies, <laughs> just lies, lies, like a bunch of lies, right? So our story is... Um, way more honest and way more um, heartfelt and way more spiritually grounded. And I have been just really thinking about um, how we use that as context for a story for the future for people to step into. And so like, you know, all the projects that we're doing right now are working to weave that story. All of our clients at the Big We, all our podcasts, all the things that we're doing is about really having this conversation about home 
and how um, so many of us who were born here, so many of us whose ancestors were here, so many of us whose ancestors were here before anybody else's ancestors were here, like this is our home and we've been made for 500 years, some of us to feel like this is not our home and for us to not feel at home, for us not to feel safe, for us not to feel comfortable in, in a way that you should when you're at home. And so, um, I have been um, tactically preparing me and all my folks who I work with to be able to tell and believe the story that says that this is our home and we get to live and be free in it. And what's not inspiring about that? <laughs> Amen. So just to say, I have questions and I just want you know, the panelists for you, Rev Angel and Nell and, and Nalini and Nasa to feel comfortable just like talking to each other, just to say, like, feel like, I got okay. Something. Yeah, because I have, I have a thing, I have a thing, which is, yep. um, you know, Nasa, the, yeah, it's something about like the story that we tell ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is what is the what is the story that we it's and i and i think in many ways it's you know i i hear you it's like what is the story we tell but i i feel like the the core of the thing is that actually we're not even telling our own story we're responding mm -hmm. and re, we're reacting to someone to another right. story and at the at the very core that yeah that our story that like that story is sexy and it's you know it's all the things but we're so caught up in listening to and trying to refute the other story. And, and yeah. I, feel, I kind of feel like I'm like, you know, lies, fat, you know, truth. It's apparently their truth and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't have to let it be my truth. And I, I feel that that, for me, that's so much the core of this sense of like the work of story and how do, how is it that we, and I, and I feel like our thing ties together because I'm, I'm saying like, how is it that we go get ourselves, go get our own story yes. and um, have the kind of grounding that allows us to recognize even that the, the story lines that we're running are not our stories, right? The story lines that we're running are not our own actual mm -hmm. stories. And we've been so deeply programmed over those hundreds of years that we're made to not feel home, um, to also not understand, be able to recognize uh, what, I, what I like to say is we, we don't recognize the signature of our own truth. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly why it's not working, because all we are doing is responding. All we are doing is, I mean, but that's what, that's what people who are um, being actively harmed do, is you go into defense mode. It's very difficult when you're in active combat and you're being harmed to be able to figure out how to stand up, get your center, and get into forward stance and then be able to, right? It's hard. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not acting as if we're just being lazy, right? I'm not saying like, what's wrong with you guys? You don't need, I'm like, it is very difficult for us to be able to both protect ourselves, pivot, have a forward stance, have a vision, and be able to share that vision in an inspiring way that has tactical things attached to it to invite people into the tent, right? It's hard, it's the, I don't, I, it's damn near impossible, but it's what we have to do. 
this is what we have to do because when I um, when I look at us and in the ways that we are um, working to grow, right? Grow the us, grow the like the big we. How do we grow the big we? Um, I want for us to be able to grow the big we by by being able to be in our truth, in our story, in our narrative. And it is like gonna take such incredible spiritual fortitude for us to be able to do that. Because the thing that allows you to be wide enough to be able to both protect yourself and start to walk at the same time is like your spiritual emotional depth, which is why the work that you do is so important, right? And, um, but again, when you're fighting for your life every day, it's hard to spend the time and do the work that you have to do to get that depth. So we're in a bit of a conundrum, but it's, it's for me the most important conundrum for us to figure out because the other things are obvious, right? Like, yes, we need to fight now. We need to get this fool out now. We need to take advantage of all that's popped up um, in the past six months, right? Because there's so much opportunity of people who are ready to listen to the real story. Um, even if they don't know a real, a real story exists, they're ready to listen. And there's so much opportunity for us right now. And um, we, we also must take advantage of the opportunity to be able to 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 be able to interrupt the dominant narrative, create an honest narrative, and be able to propagate it forward. In my opinion, mm-hmm. Nalini, can I ask you a question? Yeah, because I I'm, I've never met you before. I'm very happy to meet you. Hi. Um, I'm a I'm a, a secret fan of Resistance Revival Chorus, and I am really intrigued about this conversation about story and your integration of song and music in your organizing work because um it, i it, it is rare to find someone who was like so committed to their art and so committed to their organizing at the same time most people have to do one or the other and find someone to partner with and i'm like fascinated to hear you talk about that yeah, thank you for um, for asking. It, it's a hard balance, I'll say that. Um, you know, I haven't, I mean, even pre-COVID, I wasn't doing shows anymore with the chorus and all of that stuff. But I mean, so the Resistance Revival Chorus for folks who are just tuning in is a, a chorus of over, it's all, we are all women or um, non-binary folks and femmes um, that are in, that, that was, based in New York and we built a toolkit. So there's also, so the Resistance Revival Chorus, so our main kind of chorus is in New York. Um, and then people started choruses in San Diego, um, in Rochester, New York, in Atlanta, because we just put a toolkit out there and said, hey, these are a few things, these are our values, we're white, and because um, um, it's a color that was used both in the suffrage movement, but also in the undocumented a day without, um, you know, immigrants in 2007 protests. So it was a really important color for a lot of us folks who co-founded it. And <clears throat> and um, we 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 started with actually having these monthly revival nights because it was mm-hmm. so painful. It was like the summer of 2017, and we were like, uh, we've got a couple more years of this administration as it stands right now. So we need to actually have a revival of the soul, of the spirit, of the mind and not just be stuck on you know what is what's really sad um is that you know we're best when we can play offense and we're best when we can actually 
you know, in, in, in terms of sports, be in an offensive position. And we've been, our movements have been in defense um, for the last four years, particularly, um, at a large level that we have not had to deal with probably since the 80s in the Reagan administration. Um, and so, and also obviously like the Bush administration as well, you know, um, but I think it's just like take those two and like Voltron came, right? <laughs> and so I'm very much of a nerd, so I use all these uh, analogies. So the chorus, like, you know, our kind of thing was like, how do we do what we love, which is, is, is singing and joy, and also add in the very important pieces of um, talking to people about what's happening, what's at stake, organizations that folks could join. And so that was part of like, how do you actually do both? We created both of that within the essence and the founding of the chorus. We were saying that, you know, this chorus's role was to speak to places that maybe movement doesn't get to and doesn't get to go to. Um, also speak and sing to places that we need to share more movement with and have more movement share with us. And so we started these revival nights and it was always, you know, we, we explained what the resistance revival chorus was, the history of protest music and movement music in the United States, um, because it goes back to indigenous struggle. Um, it goes back to black folks singing, follow the drinking gourd so that they could escape slavery. It goes to farm workers singing in different languages to each other um, in California and the Southwest to, to, to get their union and go on strike. And so it's actually very, very ingrained in the history of struggle has always been music and art as a center, not just a, oh, we can do that if it's nice over here. And I think what we've created is over the, you know, the last 50 to 100 years has created a delineation that really shouldn't exist. It should be when you are engaged in struggle, when you're engaged in politics, when you're engaged in movement, there needs to be that culture at the center of it. There needs to be us sharing our, our stories and speaking to each other beyond language. Uh, because we all come from different identities and communities and class backgrounds and all of these things that there is a, there is a language above language. And that is, in, from the history of time, has been music, spirituality, art, and um, dance. And so that was really, you know, so for me, the way that I balance it is, is often, um, you know, making sure that it's actually ingrained in the work as a whole. And also knowing when people need to step out and step in. So my chorus, they know, when it's election years, because if I do a lot of political work, they're like, she's not going to be around that much. And it's no shade, it's still joy, and it's still love. And when I come back, it's still family, right? And so those are some of the ways that we are able to create space. But I do actually believe that our movements need to stop. There's this thing of like, oh, these are the cultural organizers, and these are the, you know, these are the folks who work in culture. And I'm like, oh, we all got culture here. Like, even, you know, even when, you know, um, there are certain, white communities that also will be like, we don't have culture, like there's culture, like there's culture, there's regional culture, there's city culture, there's rural culture, like culture exists, y'all, everybody got it, even if you think you're vanilla AF. So like, I just, <laughs> so like we actually have that and we need to actually center it in our organizing and in our politics because actually the right wing does that. They center culture, they don't have a delineation of it. It's why they don't, they don't believe a, a separation of church and state because that's part of the culture that they're trying to double down on. It's like what they are putting together, you know, the hierarchical style of their religion, <laughs> they put it at the center. So we need to also be of that and with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would argue that that is how you make the pivot from defense to offense is by engaging in your own creativity. And I tell people all the time, if you're trying to change the world and you don't have a creative practice, then you are not going to change the world. You need to get it together. Start drawing in your little pad or something. Start singing in the morning in the shower and get it together. Yes. <laughs> get it together. Um. I really appreciate this. I'm loving this, the joy and the, and the creativity and the art and really merging this together, which I think it, you're sort of weaving so much from the, um, from the different parts of the, of the summit thus far. I wanted to just go back, um, Angel, because you said something that's like a really big like, thing, like go get yourself. <laughs> and I really actually wanted to, um, to kind of explore that idea a little bit this idea that um that we that i think i've heard you talk about it as sort of um like withdrawing our consent from sort of the systems that we've come up with or from white supremacy um so i'm curious like how do you go get (laughs) how do you go get yourself (laughs) yeah i you know it's very much rooted in what i was speaking to earlier which is to Um, you know, to learn the signature of your own truth, right? To learn to be able to um, tune into, it's like listening to an an orchestra. And if you, there's all of this, you know, there's all of this, you know, sound and all of these instruments going on and training your, the ear, uh, your ear of, to, of resonance, right? Like the, your own ability to resonate with your own truth so you, that you can pick out your truth in the midst of all of the, of all of the sound, whether it is cacophonous or if it's melodious, even if it's melodious and, and a great sound, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's all necessarily your truth. And I think that um, on the so-called left, on the so-called, we, we get caught up in the like, we're all going to like sing this same thing. And then that's not quite my thing, but I'm singing your note, Nalini, like, but my voice is no different voice. And um, and then we lose ourselves and we start playing the um, same, you know, the same cards that we have been, have been like deeply indoctrinated in, in so many, you know, in all, in all of us really, right? We've all, I think that's like step one, right? Is to recognize that we have all been indoctrinated. We have all inherited ways of being. Our sense of justice is completely corrupted by the inheritance of having been, um, you know, suckled in this in this nation, <laughs> and uh, and and just to know that, right? To to just to know that there is a a place that we have to rest in a kind of um, holding the grief, right? The big our our arms around the big grief of like oh, I don't know shit. Like, I don't know shit. And I go out there and everything that I think that I'm doing, I actually took from this system. And so I'm going out there with the ways of this system. I gave this talk once about the ways of the system. And to make a long story short, it it basically talks about, you know, the first known um, enslaved African man. And then it talks about another lesser known, much lesser known enslaved African man who got free and um, and then went to court so that he could be entitled to keep another black man enslaved because he had learned the ways of the system. And that was way, way, way back, 
right? So we have had some time to learn the ways of the system. So he had gotten his own freedom and then turned around right there, right? And, and, I, and this is going to sound familiar to us if we are honest, turned around and tried to um, enslave another person, like went to court for it, like went to court to say that this person's time is up, but he should stay enslaved for the rest of his life as, as a person that actually had that experience for themselves. And so we have that, we have inherited that. And, and I think coming to terms with it, not as just like something we know, like coming to terms with the grief of that, right? That, that we carry that grief in, in our bodies. And if we're not carrying it as grief, we may not actually be uh, being honest with ourselves because the, the, the touching into that grief of, of how immersed we are, um, how um, completely um, interwoven the, the, these systems are, how layered they are. Just when we think we've pulled something back, it's like there is something else again. And so you have to have stunning humility, like stunning humility. Um, and that's a practice unto itself to have a kind of stunning humility about what you don't know, even as you forge your, your own ability to, to touch into your truth, which is, you know, I love Nalini's talking about like, you know, going beyond the words because the, that truth is actually beyond the words. And, and all of these systems have actually tried to trick you that your truth is like, you know, in a, this, you know, some cra like well-crafted statement, you know, like if you come up with a well-crafted statement, you have found your truth and your purpose and your, you know, and, I, I don't know about you, but my like truth is like it it arises. There's there's a constant resonance, but like what it what it looks like and how it needs to manifest, moves and shape shifts and changes in accordance to what is and what is arising. And where we get stuck is we're real trying really hard to find something that is steady, right? That isn't going to move, and that is um, an impossibility. You know, again, as Nalini is saying, like we are cross-cultural, multicultural, transcultural, transnational, trans, you know, trans, like transracial, like we are just trans and we're trying to like figure out how to be in a binary. And that binary, we, we will never, right? Just like our creativity, not having our creativity, not having a creative practice, we will never know the truth of ourselves if we're trying to find it in a either or this or that, right or wrong, red or blue, like black or white, like we will never know the truth of ourselves um, because our truth lies in our, in our complexity and being able to hold uh, steady in the face of that complexity and allow that complexity um, to 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 resonate at at a at a volume that is Nasa said like you know this thing is loud right to allow to allow our own truth to this right this dude now he's like loud like speaking loudly so we need to have a resonance and embodied a capacity develop a capacity for embodied resonance so that the the vibration of our own truth. Um, surpasses, right, surpasses, matches, and then surpasses the 
vibrations that we're getting from outside and from everywhere. It's, it's, it's actually like, it's mechanical and, and vibrational and energetic just like that. It's like matching that, like how do I raise the volume in my, of my own truth so it's, I can he, that's what I can hear. To, I'm doing it through my ears, through my words, through, my, through my, my body, through my breath, through my movement that we engage all of the senses in um in in a in a full onslaught of of truth and we have to do it often enough to dip into it often enough because we're like moving around with other people and they have truth too so we have to have that practice that dips in and i think creativity right dips us into our truth so that we remember ourselves right and that's we, so there's a go get it the go getting ourselves is actually a remembering right and a, a re, and a remembering like a remembering a coming back together a coming back into our wholeness that comes from that remembering who we were you know in zen we have this saying like who we were before our mother was born right and who we were like who we were before our mothers mothers was born like who we were before we were corrupted away from the truth of our of our humanity and our and our love for each other and our love for life and our love for the planet that we're do, doing such like awful things to like we we have that encoded in us and i'm not saying we shouldn't go read stuff and all of that like you should do that but you have to know that that all of the reading and all of that, like, you know, becomes, you know, capitalist consumerist because we do that too, right? We like flip and we think we're like, I'm learning a thing and suddenly we're like consuming the thing, right? And, and now we're not doing an, a thing at all. We're actually reifying that system inside of ourselves that says somehow the answer is outside of me. And if I just consume enough, if I take enough, if I grab enough, if I punish enough, if I uh, call other people out enough, then I will be made whole or I will be made to know the truth or be the holder of the truth. And none of that is real. Um, none, none of that is real. Yeah. <laughs> That's an answer. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking, and I think there's a, both like, um, like there's this, sort of a spiritual answer and then there's like this practical answer which is to this question of how do you do that and do the work like and do the action right and i will just say as someone who has like a, a buddhist practice like who it's really nice to be on retreat doing like that like listening to myself and and sort of getting myself and how do we how do we allow ourselves to be kind of in this work in the self-work and also in the action as sort of like imperfect messy folks and how do we then also invite people in you know and that's the binary though right that's the binary that's the binary right that there's spiritual work and there's political work that there's inner work and there's outer work it's the weaving and collapsing those things so that our self-care is is as like our self-care is like, yeah, like I'm doing it for us, babe. Like we're, we're doing this, we're doing this. Like we're doing this when, when I'm on retreat. Like it's like I'm doing us. I'm doing the big we when I'm on retreat. That's not like now I went and left us because who, who am I? 
Mm-hmm. That's I'm I'm I am the big we. I'm I want to be that us that Anasa's talking about. And I never leave that us. And and I think that the mm-hmm. right that's one of the binaries that we get from the West is somehow, right, from this Western um, top down, like never like this, mm-hmm. the split between the nate from like that we are not nature, that we talk about us and nature, right? There's mm-hmm. us and then there's nature. All of that, the, that we're, we have a spiritual practice and a spiritual, what life are you living if you're not living a spiritual life? If you're not living <laughs> breath, if you're not living breath, spirit, folks, if you're not living breath, what life are you living? It isn't worth it. Whatever it is, I'll tell you that. I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you, if you're not living a life of breath, spirit, then, it, you're, then it's not mm-hmm. worth living. And somebody can curse at me if they want to. <laughs> you know, I'm just interested. Um, I, I know this because I've done some of it with, with Nalini that, no, you've been you've worked with movements outside the outside the U.S. and I'm just struck by thinking about what about this binary is so kind of like the West or in particular in a, a U.S. form of capitalism and thinking about other movements that you've experienced um, now. Like in what way does uh, I'm thinking about something? Um, someone from the the feminist movement right now in Chile said to me when when I was talking about healing modality is a movement and she was like the movement is the healing and <laughs> i guess i now i'm just wondering like how do they how do you see this differently in other countries like how do they bring this the creativity or the spirit work and the political work together all the questions in one. i think part of it is the the level of commitment that people have to struggle and movement and uh, and, and also what the movement has, like is it, so, you know in places like brazil like in the mst in the landless workers movement you don't actually go as an individual if you're occupying land you bring your whole family you cannot actually participate unless your whole family participates and that and then in turn the community takes care of your family and I don't think we've gotten there in the United States with movement where people, because people are thinking about the food on their table, who's going to take care of their kids and fear of jail and fear of all of these things that are kind of rightful fears, but it's because the movement is not saying we will take care of you. And so I think that's part of it. It's like people enter with their full selves in movement from Brazil to Chile to Puerto Rico, um, that is a colony of the United States, and that's where my people are from. Like everybody was out in the street to get rid of. They got rid of a governor. What state? Like what? When does that, does that happen? I mean, it's a U.S. territory. It's a colony. It is not a state. A lot of Puerto Ricans do not actually like being called American. Some do. It's messy. Don't get into it if you don't know it. But <laughs> but what I will say is that. You know, what other, they, they are very structured because it's a colony like a seat. What other time? We tried to get rid of Scott Walker a bunch of times when he, you know, came out to the labor union. But Puerto Rican show up, showed up in their full cells. People were doing drag concerts. The caballeros, the horses came and were like, we're going to do a horse protest. I've never seen, I was like, what? So people came, bikers came, everybody came into their full cells. And I don't think that we have, I think that we have a, I think that our, I think that the United States has a very romanticized 
you and in the movement too of what action looks like what protest looks like and what is like you know what's down or hard because for me what's down or what's hard was when drag queens showed up in front of you know um la plaza and were like dragging it out in front of it it's not only locking back and look i love lock boxes i've been on tripods you know, I've climbed buildings and dropped banners. Like, I love that too, because I geek out on that. But also, that is not the only form of protest and activism. And it's also, I think on the other side, we sell ourselves short a lot because we're not bringing, as I also said earlier, our creativity into ourselves, where sometimes it's just like a rally where everybody's standing there. Like, how many of y'all have been to, how many times Trump does something, it's like, everybody, candlelight vigil, like, I'm done with it. And no shade to anybody who does, it's like, we stand up a thousand actions in like 50 places and it's really great. And then, it's, and which is, so I think that we need to really, it, it's a grounded thing of like, we're not, and I think part of, so, so the lessons learned is it's like, it's their whole selves, but it's also the history. We have not, and you know, which is why I look to elders, but the United States in particular has spent years of erasing movement history. As recent, like people don't remember, you know, when you talk about what happened in Philadelphia move, people are like, what? Like, when you talk about a whole neighborhood bomb, because they were taking care of each other. This is the first year I think people actually started talking about Tulsa in a big way because Trump <laughs> decided that I'm just kidding, he was going to go to Tulsa. But you know what I mean? Like, these are the way we have to stop forgetting our history. And it doesn't mean you got to go, like, I, I am, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you got to go to school and all that stuff. They don't. I'm a high school dropout, and I'm proud of it. It's just what life handed to me, and I made do with what it is. Um, but I've asked questions. What has come before me? If I am curious, I ask questions. What has come before me? And if I am creative, I do. And sometimes people are like, all right, no, maybe that's too much, which I do do try to do the most. But <laughs> Karina's one of those people. She's like, okay, <laughs> how many things are you doing? However, I will just say that I think that we're, I think that what the learning lessons is that the, the movement really takes care of communities. And I think right now, you know, I think everybody should also understand in, in terms of care, like we have gotten ourselves with the pandemic and the economic crisis, like that was already brewing. We have gotten ourselves into something that we're gonna be dealing with for a year and a half. No matter if there's a cure, at least, no matter if there's a cure, there's, we have the most people unemployed since the Great Depression. And that took years, decades, to come back from. And so people don't understand that the, like it is gonna get a, like worse right now. Even if we have a new leadership and a new administration, it's gonna get worse because mass evictions are gonna happen. All these things are gonna happen and we have to show up for each other. Like, ooh, don't get too emotional. Um, like New Yorkers showing up for each other in mutual aid when the pandemic was happening. The amount of people who, we're like, oh, you're sick? Like, I'm just gonna drop food because I couldn't go anywhere at my doorstep and in a personal manner. Like, that was happening across the city. And we need to do that, not just like when things happen, but we need to do that in our movements and our practice so people can show up in their full selves. And that creativity, we can't just be like, this is what activism is, this is what it isn't, this is what it means to be a revolutionary, and this is what it isn't. Because to be a revolutionary, you have to be your full self. That was, that was my now. <laughs> A, the effing men. A. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I thought maybe 
this, uh, you sort of mentioned some of it at the beginning, this creativity, this culture, but in the sense of um, what is the role, uh, Nalini touched on, on different pieces of it, but what, how are you seeing the role, you talked about music, but culture really helping our movements be the, be the healing and not just be the healing, but, you know, move us forwards as well. Hmm. Um, so I just went through, I just went through a, um, like a five week, like, you know, how you get like super awesome people on a zoom and you talk to each other five times over two months and you're like, Whoa, that was incredible. So I just finished one of those and, um, I left with this question, like, what if we did it wrong? What if, we all wanted to change the world and we started organizations and started movements, but what we should have done was like, we want to change the world. Let's build community. And I think this, um, this question of culture is really about understanding that, um, like understanding for me, the difference between narrative shift and culture shift, because they're two different things in my mind. Like there's the, there's the, the telling of the story that helps us have a different narrative about who we are and what is possible for us. But culture shift, like culture is pervasive. Culture, when, when, you, when, you, when you evolve culture, you evolve the economy, you evolve politics, you evolve religion, spirituality, you evolve food systems, like you literally evolve everything because culture, the way I talk about it in my trainings is like if you have soup, like culture is the broth of that soup. So like it doesn't matter what the vegetables are in there. If you change the broth, you change the, the way that soup occurs for people, right? And so we, we actually need to think about what it means to, to, to retool our core values that feed the culture, that feed everything else. Because right now the core value that we really like um, exist in and are propelled by is the core value of money over everything. Hypercapitalism, like nothing matters, right? Because because literally our culture is is um, the DNA of American culture is like stolen land, exterminated people, stolen people, like free labor, terror, violence, like damn, be damned these people, be damned this planet, be damned these animals. Like if, if, if it's going to give us some money, then like we're into it, right? Forget your integrity, forget the truth, forget it. Literally nothing is over money, right? So work your own self to death, work your, work your pawpaw to death. Like work, like even your, even you are not worth like coming before money, even our own work ethic and American like saying around work is putting money above our own um, well-being. So that is the culture that we're existing in. And so when you look at every aspect of our culture, you think about how our food systems are built. You think about how we treat the planet. You think about how our economy is. You think about everything you can bring up to me right now. I will show you a, a line to how it's connected to the core value of money over everything, right? And so if we want to shift our culture, we have to come up with a new core value. <laughs> like it's as simple as that. We have to decide what is the thing, what is the coal that's going to 
that's gonna run our engines like what is the the what dye are we gonna put in the water to make the colors change like I, I can come up with a million metaphors but like we actually have to think about who we want to be and what we want to drive us which is why I think this conversation about um that Reverend Angel's having is so intriguing because we are so many different kinds of people who have so many different experiences and yet we are all being driven by this one thing. And so like there, there is a way for us to be like the fullness of who we are and have an agreement about who we're going to be as a community. And I think the only way we get there is by building community with the people who are around you. Like we, I actually am like you and your 10 friends, you and the five people who live in your house, you and the 20 people in your organization, you and the 50,000 people in your town can actually make decisions and agreements and practice what it means to be able to live into this new culture and live into this new story. And guess what? You actually can do it yourself as a sovereign being, right? Like you can decide, I am going to think about what core value I want to drive my life. And I'm going to do my best to try to make sure that that thing shows up in everything that I do, because that's the only way we're going to get there. I think is is by, is by taking on those, those, those practices, um, ourselves because every every rule every way of being every like spiritual ritual everything that anyone has ever done has been created by someone and we actually have the right and the responsibility and the privilege of being able to make something new like who was the first person to decide before you pray light a candle somebody decided that that was some person who was like i know what i'll do Ning. Now I'm going to sit here and pray. Well, I can decide that from now on, before I pray, I'm going to snap some sugar peas. That's what I'm going to do. That's my new ritual. And every time, and in a hundred years, if enough people do it, it's going to be snapping a sugar pea. is going to be a sacred act, right? So we all can, we all are sovereign, sacred beings, and we can decide how we're going to live with each other and, and with ourselves. So, you know, culture, it's a okay. thing. I got a thing. I got a thing for you. So a few, I don't know how many years ago, maybe five, yes. six years ago. Yes. It really, um, this uh, probing deeply the, the understanding that yeah. capitalism is our de facto religion, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that, that is just what is true. It's like the religion that I didn't go, I didn't go, I didn't have to go to church, you know, to have a de facto religion, like Christianity is all up and through me. And so I, I was in a conversation the other day and somebody said, you said all these words, words, you know, and they're New Testament, you know, Christianity. And I was like, I'm black in America. And <laughs> either I'm Muslim or I'm, you know, and there's, there's some of us that are Jews, but you know, that's, that's the touch. Like either I was, or I was deeply touched by it. That's what it means. And so capitalism is like that, whether you think you're, you know, an avowed capitalist or not, you are a capitalist, right? And you, you, that, that is the religion. And every other religion in this country is a devotee of that religion. So it is the religion above all religions. It is the shared religion. Similarly, right. whiteness is the shared culture that we all have. When, when nobody says anything and does what you said to do and says like, okay, I'm going to change this. 
we all default, we all lowest common denominator go to whiteness, mm-hmm. right? We get in a room and we look around and we try to figure out who it is. And if, if we're not actively being black, if we're not actively being in our blackness, if we're not actively being in, in, being in whatever it is and where we come from, where we hail from, the foods we're bringing, we are... We, we, our lowest common denominator, the, that the, where we fall to is always whiteness. And we have to get real with the truth of that. That's right. Like that That's is, right. And, and whiteness, the way I talk about whiteness is whiteness is, is the implicit culture that upholds white supremacy, right? It's the culture that upholds white supremacy. Because as you said, some people came along and, you know, people came along and said like white supremacy, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. So it got slipped in the broth and the broth is, is whiteness because people are like, hey, wait a minute, there's some big old chunks of white supremacy here. <laughs> I'm probably not going to eat that, right? So if you saw like big old, you know, I'm a vegetarian, right? So yeah. if I saw some big old ham hocks, I'd be like, mm-mm. But if you put it in the broth, I might not know. You won't even know. And we talked about this on the- But I wouldn't, but I, which I wouldn't even know. I didn't say one, one quick thing. Mm-hmm. So then I realized our justice movements- are all predicated on the idea of access to resources. Yes. That means that we are just going to fight because we know who has their hands on the lever of the resources. So it either means we're just going to fight that. So we're back in somebody else's storyline. It is, it's, it's not a fight. It's a, it's literally a fight we can never win. I'm sorry. We can never win a fight on that, on those terms what we can shift to is movements that are based on self-determination with other mediation, right? In in other words, my self-determination is mediated by my relationship with others. So I have self-determination for sure, my sovereign sacred sacred self that is always co-arising with your sovereign sacred, sacred self. And I think that that is the value that we have to situate our movements in, situate our bodies in, situate our understanding and our praxis in. Because we, we have been taught otherwise. We have a practice already, folks. It is whiteness. It is capitalism. It is, uh, you know, it is dominance. It is your food or I'm food. We have a practice. And so if you are yammering about your theory with no practice, you know, if you have no praxis, then we have nothing. If you don't have a praxis of going to get yourself, your self-determination that allows for your queerness and your blackness and your like, not this and not thatness. I don't know about those folks that are trying to be black when they're not that that's, I'm going to pause. I'm going to put a pause on those, (laughs) put pause on that right now. Just pause. But the right, the self-determination, I mean, if they had self-determination, honestly, those people would not have needed to, to try to be somebody else, right? And try to be something else. So I just, I want to just like name it, like that's, that's the value. I've been like mm, on this for some, and for some reason, I don't usually say it. So you just like the, the, like the core value of self-determination, I think speaks to, with other mediation, speaks to the complexity of 
our mutual co-arising that's necessary for us to um, take our rightful place in, in nature and in relationship with each other. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Ooh, thank you for the conversation thus far. I'm just, I'm here for it, all of it. And folks are really appreciating it um, in the chat box. This is really meaning a lot for people. So thank you. And I do want to make sure uh, we'll take a little bit of time now to get folks questions and how they're responding. I think Kerry's going to help with this section. Are you there, Kerry Kelly? I'm here. Hi, Kerry so Kelly. Hi. <laughs> I have a question for you all, and I'm going to like just give folks some time to just pop in a couple more questions to warm up the question box. Um, but it's sort of related to what all of you were just saying. Um, it's, it's related to self-determination. It's related to sovereignty. And I think it's related, Nalini, to you, what you were saying around, around governance, because it feels like we don't have a practice of self-governance. Like we don't, we don't know how to do that. And I don't even know that we know how to imagine what that even what that even looks like and i feel like because of that we default to letting other people make decisions for us and assuming that we have no power and then going back to sleep and doing our thing and so i would love from all of the different dimensions that you all um represent i'd love to hear about like what what does it look like to imagine into self-governance what does it look like tactically you know like for real like the real um substantive part what does it look like in imagination and in culture and what does it look like in in practice i have a crazy answer it's not a crazy answer it's just that <laughs> i had a um i that is the question, Carrie. Yes, 100%. And I'm laughing because I had um, this whole, I, you know, when you spend six months at home by yourself, you get to know yourself in a whole different way, right? So that's where we are right now. It's like, I'm like, whoa, is that who I am? Oh, wow. Okay. And I have just discovered language for the thing I've been trying to undo this whole time, which is like, oh, I'm codependent. Oh, wow, great. And what's been happening with me is like, I was, I was like getting this awareness of this way of being that I have that I didn't have language for. And then I found the language and everything was like, whoa, it was like Wizard of Oz when everything turns into full color. You're like, crap, I can literally see my entire, entire life through the lens of this one relationship that is colored everything that I've ever done since birth. And what it's allowing me to do now is like reverse engineer and like set, set those ways of being aside and, and give myself time to decide who I, how and who I want to be and then recalibrate all of my relationships, all of my ways of being, all of my everything based on that. And that is basically what we have to do is just be like, wow, so now I can see who we've been being through the lens of patriarchy, white supremacy, you know, hypercapitalism, so on and so on and so on. And we have to really like re-examine everything that we've ever done based on the assumption that those are the things that have been driving even the most progressive of us. That is what's been driving us. Because only then can you sit back and say, okay, so if that's what's been coloring me, what do I want to be? at the center of the hue that I'm going to admit into the world and like be super intentional and super deliberate about, about that recalibration. And 
most importantly, doing it in community with people who can be like, girl, your slip is showing. Like, I know you think you just did that this new way, but right. And like, be in community, if fully in like full robust community, which means like, yes, it means like, you know, movie nights and family dinners, but it also means like vulnerability, accountability, right? All those things that we don't really like. And we have to be that intentional. Like for folks, those of us who are not assuming that we're, the craziest calls I've gotten through the, during the pan, pandemic and in the, in the, in the uprising is not from white people, it's from black people who have been in corporate America who are realizing that they've been like mimicking and reinforcing white male, straight, cisgender, wealthy behavior and oppressing other people at work. And they're like, oh my God, this whole time I've been acting like a white man and I don't know what to do with that. Those are the people who are having the hardest time right now. Right. And so like we raise of the system. That's right. That's right. We gotta, we gotta, we, we have to look at ourselves. We have to, in a moment where we are literally like every person on the planet change now. That's what we're doing. We're like, everybody stand up, pay attention and get it together and change now for us to have that demand of every single person on the planet and not do it for ourselves is ridiculous. It's disingenuous, it's out of integrity, and it's actually not realistic because you only can, can, can ask for what you already have done. You can't ask for, that's the organizing one-on-one. Don't ask nobody to do something you're not willing to do. Okay, I'm done. I haven't got excited. Let me calm down. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> there's definitely lots of ways to look at it, but I think governance, I think that you have, to talk about governance, you have to talk about power. And I think that our communities and our movements, because power has done so many bad things to folks and has also good things to our communities, that people, I think that we in the United States in movement spaces are actually really allergic to power and what it actually means. Um, um, I think that we talk about self-power a lot, um, but it's collective power and it's also like, power structures um, that are important for self-governance. And so for me, the idea, like, what does governance mean? Like, I see it in phases. Like, first, if we can't contest with the actual governance that is over the United States, no matter how messed up and and structurally that it was built, I don't think that we can actually build our own (laughs) methods of self-governance. So for me, it's just like one, it's a contestation of power with the government that's actually in charge now and on the different levels. So there's many bureaucracies in the United States. So that's one, right? What does it mean to, um, for me, I think we need to get to a point of a first place of co-governance. We actually need to have elected officials that serve us, but actually, and, and not just us as individuals, but our communities, our organizations, our constituencies. And so that's like step one is like co-governance. And two, I think that we really need to contest. I think that power and governance, you have to take away, and I think it's going to be really hard, but you have to peel away the notions of, and I think Anasa and, 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 um, um, and Kareem like both mentioned it, it's just like, you have to peel away the existing notions 
of what of what exists now because all of this was like what we all live in capitalism teachers that, that was somebody's mind that made that up <laughs> sounds really crazy but it like started out with somebody's mind and then built on, upon each other and built into these systems that actually right it's not it wasn't just i mean it wasn't just like four people got together like you know what? we're gonna be a capitalism today like it was like right it was just somebody had the idea and people built upon it for, you know, in, in their power. And so I think that when we think about um, self-governance, we have to actually take, remove that from our minds and say, what, what would we do if we were in charge and not have to think about the framework that was, was, was given to us? There are some helpful things there, but the framework that was given was built on stolen land by stolen people. And so removing that, <laughs> removing that in terms of governance, and then I think that it, it's really important that we practice um like to me when i want to self-govern like i do want to be in power and not as an individual i want to be in power with my community so whatever that looks like i don't know i'm like the last like structure person in the world but whatever that looks like i just know that that means me and my community members are making decisions collectively that help us all collectively what does it mean to make sure that every person is housed and fed and nurtured? And how do we provide that for each other? And for me, that's what I think the role of government should be doing. The role of government should be taking care of folks and, and, and building that. But when we actually self-govern, when we have that vision, that is a place of care and community and what that actually means for each other. I'm sweating all over. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Rev, you have anything to add? <laughs> Woo! I mean, um, you know, the, the, redefin the redefinition of like what self is, is kind of a critical um, way of entering into that. I, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to, you know, drum, beat the beat the drum into the ground, but um, even our notion of self, right? Our notion of self and even what governance means, our notions of justice, right? That people can't conceive of um, a relationship to community that doesn't have policing. Mm -hmm. It's because we don't, we don't, We've inherited our notions of every word we speak. So you have to be that kind of um, rigorous to know that every word that you utter, you, I, I often say this, my, um, my friend Greg Snyder said this thing, and it like, you know, just like you said, the, like the lens you see through things, saw things through, Anasa, and it's like, you know, you're just like, what? And there were these two things that happened um, around language and like language, not this just language, but also like our internal language and how we speak to ourselves. And it's part of um, a lot of what I, what I, you know, deal in, if you will, is, is to really understand how it is that we are speaking to ourselves in ways that are beyond words, as well as the words. And so um, uh, once I was listening to two different indigenous folks and just to make long, longer things shorter. And, and basically they talked about how they didn't have the word, um, you know, I, <laughs> or, you know, like the possessive in their language. And I was like, 
<laughs> it's like broke my brain. I was like, what? I couldn't think of anything anymore. Be when I was actively trying to like to, to, to relate to the world. See, I was about to even say my world to couldn't relate to the world with when I was trying to relate to the world without possessive. I was like, wow. Like I was undone. <sighs> it was like, oh. And then and then Greg said, um, we don't have we don't have personal thoughts. We have private thoughts. Mm. Every single thought we have we got from somewhere. And I was like so it um it it begs of us a, a a rigor and i recently had this conversation with westman manicum that was you know just was the hotness y'all <laughs> it was like so the hotness <laughs> um it, it's it's so hot that i keep actually putting it back in a little cooler <laughs> people are like can i get the conversation i'm like wait wait a minute let me just put it back in the cooler because it is like hot it might burn some doubt or something something but we were we were talking about this you know notion of how we how we own ourselves and how we know our own language and i was just struck up and and the sense of and the need for preparation so I feel with respect that so many of the conversations, I want to, can I, can I diverge for just a moment? What, what I realized what was so hot about that conversation and why, why it is, why it is working, why it is a transmission and why it's working the way that it is, is because it wasn't mediated by white people. And because it wasn't mediated by white folks, the conversation that we had, like a black man, right, black cis man, you know, black, black, mixed race, you know, female, blah, 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 was the conversation that we have rather than the conversation that white folks think that they, about what they want to know. And so the, the questions actually are a diversion from what we're, what we were going to talk about. So with it being unscripted, there were no it wasn't just like that, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have a script. It meant that the, uh, there was no script interceding into the, un, the natural and organic unfolding of our, of our words. I want folks to hold that in an understanding of how we're doing, you know, conversations and how we're doing these things all together. Because something does happen, right, that is like, it goes back to like the way we've been trained and the answers we think we need to hear. And what happened with Resma and I is that we spoke what we needed, we, what we know knew needed to be said rather than what people thought they needed to hear. And then they realized, oh shit, I, I needed to hear that. And I didn't even know how to have words to conceive of that I needed to hear that. So I never could have asked that question. He talked about that called Cassidy, yeah. He just like, just, it was that, right? It was like, oh, there's transmission that happens from, from, from bodies of, of people that have bore, borne the suffering of this, of this land and land and earth and, and, the, and the theft of our bodies and the theft of our lands. We are, we are diamonds forged in the 
heat and the pressure of that. And there's wisdom there that is always being extracted. And what you're extracting is these little things like this, when there's real big, amazing things that exist. And, you know, like Nalini, you speaking, and I, and I hear that, like that diamond wisdom that even as we're talking, right, it's getting, I feel it being like extruded, like through like that Plato thing that they used to have. And it's extruded through the inquiry of whiteness. Not you two people here, right? But that's how, that's, that's our default culture. And so it's getting extruded. And when you extrude the thing, if you ever did had that little thing with Plato, you extrude it. And it's like pretty little shapes that come out and they're fascinating. But you know what? There's a whole lot of stuff that's left inside that never gets out because there's just been this extracting of what we think we want to know. And there's a wisdom that is deeper. There's a wisdom that's deeper than what we think we want to know. So I, I, I love, you know, you, both of you, I love you. And the questions are not my fucking questions. They're not my questions. And I'm just like, so clear. I'm just like, mm. They're not my questions and I have to do like take three steps back and turn to a left and hop up and down to try to get back to the place that I want to speak to. So I just want to name name that because I because I've just been like feeling the the feels of it. And I and and what we what we do with it I think is unfolds and I'm saying it here because I know that the, these are people um that that can you know hold that. Mhm. Self and um, governance are confined concepts. They're constrained by everything that we have been, we have inherited about our way mm -hmm. of understanding. So maybe we end there and I'm, there's just, there's some amazing questions in here. So I want to like hold what you're saying, but also hold um, um, some of what the community is bringing forth and, and wanting to like learn about and know about. There's one question that feels um, yeah. like it's related to what y'all have been saying, and it feels also like a good place for us to land. Um, and, and that's um, this question around, um, and I think there's a bunch of different ways to think about this, but, but the question is like, what ways of transforming on the daily, I love how that's framed, can help us imagine a new way, um, imagine a way into the street and labor action required to keep the fascism of the 45th and others from stealing our new systems from coming. What's the transformation on the daily? I mean, <laughs> We can start with, um, they can do whatever they want. Like, we gonna, we gonna have something new the next day. Like, you can't steal our stuff. <laughs> you, can't, you can't steal our self-determination. You can't steal our vision. You can't steal our heart. You can't steal our community. Like, those things are things that we, that can't be stolen. Um, and I think, you know, like, the, <laughs> it's, crazy because the cultural products like the things that are born out of culture are are iterative and they're 
always evolving and always new and they're always fresh every day. And, um, you know, with, with personal and community sovereignty comes like that grounding and that knowing and that innovation, that creativity that, you know, take your best shot. I mean, I think um, transformation, it's like, I think that one of the things that we have to, you know, this is where I get into like pragmatic, practical, or is it both and? It's like, we, we can be both. We can be all the things that we want to be. And so for that, I think like the personal transformation, like for me is, you know, practicing, like reclaiming things while I'm actually fighting because they are stealing our people. Undocumented folks are being deported and, you know, and, and taken from our communities every day. They're stealing, you know, I mean, literally they're trying in New York to take anybody who is involved in this occupation. Like they're literally going and looking for us in our houses. And so, and, and I, so it's like, how do we, it's, what do we do both, right? How do we fight? I think the transformation for me is we can and we must do all both fighting within the system that exists, using some of the tools. Like I know that there's a whole, like, you can't use the master's tools to destroy the house, but like, I've actually seen, like, I actually don't necessarily, necessarily subscribe to that fully. Um, and I think that, I mean, I don't, I'm not gonna use like tools of like <laughs> destruction, um, but the masses of us use a lot of the same tools. We use elections. We use um, actions in different ways. Don't you ever forget in 2000, there was a Brooks Brother riot, right? Um, that really, that literally actually gave us um, millions of people that we inflicted violence upon because we went to war. Um, and so, so, I, so, the, so I say that I would say that the transformation for me is that yes, things are a lot right now. And so much is happening with pandemic, with our economy and capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy really, really showing themselves to almost every single person in this country, whether they want to see it or not. It is showing itself in such a clear way right now. I believe that the personal transformation, the way that folks can start is by saying, yes, it's a lot. And yes, I can do it. And yes, we can do it. I can be, I can sit in one room and talk to legislators who I can't stand or who maybe I do love and are my friends and my, you know, and, and, and also have joy and talk to my chorus sisters and build different thinking and dreaming, building new societies and Afrofuturistic content. And also we can be all of those things. And I think when we actually acknowledge that, because the system, I mean, as, as Rev was saying, that it has set us into a binary, this also has, 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 has made prisons of our minds in lots of different ways. It has made prisons of our minds where we cannot think about one, it, it, we think of things in rooms and in sections and not as a full picture and not as a full thing that we are experiencing life. And so I would just say that is that we can do all of these things. It is hard, it is not easy, it is a journey. And we can collectively go on that journey together if we transform ourselves to think that this, this, this thing that we've been taught, these systems that we have been taught ingrained since we were children, it, we can build a different world. It is that rooting in our own truth. And I, and I believe that 
you know, as Anasa pointed to, that it can't be stolen. And I also um, completely align with what Nalini is saying. It, it is, it is a both and, you know, and not trying to, you know, cut this into these sectionalized pieces. So our truth can't be stolen, and 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 that that's hard. Like I can say that to you, and you you won't know it. Somebody asked, you know, can I say more about praxis? Um, the conviction with what, which with I speak comes from praxis. You know, it's not a theory. I'm not theorizing here. This is praxis. So, you know, my, my, my firmness, my certitude comes out of the praxis of like what Nalini is saying, like the, 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 the so-called two things can be held as one. They exist as one. The conflict lies not in the thing itself, but how you hold the perspective that you have around around the things. It's the perspective that out of which the conflict does, arises. So I don't I don't feel conflicted about the navigation between my so-called self-care and my so-called work out in the world. There's no conflict in that because they're not they're not bifurcated in me any longer. They're they're one, and do I figure out things like calendars? Of course I do, like calendars and time and, you know, you know, it's, but it's not, it doesn't inhabit my body as conflict. It, ha it inhabits my body as, as this, this is the praxis, right? This is the practice itself is like, oh, stop what you're doing and go spend and sit with your partner, right? Stop what you're doing and um, you know, go and, you know, get, go get, get in the street. This, I'm not getting the street right now. Um, stop what you're, you know, stop what you're doing and go like watch some like Netflix until you're, you know, something falls out your ear because <laughs> you just need that, that rest. And I'm not wearing myself out. Right. So the, the questions, those kinds of questions that straddle binaries fall away when you're unifying in your own, your own truth. So those questions fall away. They just don't, they're not questions anymore. And, and I, that's not a, I'm not trying to say that from a place of arrogance. It's just a, like, that is just what happens. They, they, you like look and you're like, oh, I don't actually have that question because you're, you're working your whole, you're, you're working your whole system into it. Your whole being is into it. And so there's no room for that bifurcation any longer. The bifurcation is because you're still holding something back out of the, the full lean, right? You still are holding on to like, can I just keep a little bit of my fill in the blank capitalism, you know, privilege, domination, you know, uh, entitlement? Can I just keep a little bit? Of course, you don't actively say that to yourself, but you are holding on to it, right? Can I keep a little bit of my... Um, whatever, right? The, like I'm a black corporate, <laughs> I didn't realize I drank the Kool-Aid. Can I just keep a little sip just in case? I want to keep a little sip of the Kool-Aid just in case it all goes different. And then I don't want to be ass out the only one that didn't like keep some Kool-Aid. So hate to break it to you. That's where the, that's where the conflict exists is because you're, you're trying to hold something out. And when your house is burning, and I say this a lot, when your house is on fire, you don't hold some water for the next time that shit is burning. You just don't do it. You don't do it. And so if you haven't figured that out yet, it means that you don't think it's your house. It means that you're not in it. 
right? With your full whole ass. <laughs> like that. I don't even say self, like your whole ass is in it. Just like that. And that's not a judgment. That's just a, there it is. Mm-hmm. It's not judgment, right? I'm, I'm, I'm loving you on every single one of you, wherever you are in your journey. But if we don't tell the truth to ourselves about what it, it, what is exacted, because every way that we cling to being is because it, this system has made it difficult. Whoever it is that Nalini said, like came up with that idea and they compounded and brought, it, they have made it by design in such a way that you feel the fear of death to change it. Mm-hmm. You feel the fear of death and want to say something has to die. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get right with that, that the truth of that death, then you're going to be consumed by the conflict or you're going to bail. And that might be okay. Just be real with it. <laughs> Just be real with it. <laughs> Thank you. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to practice your politics. Politics is an inside-out game. It's not just how we transform ourselves, it's how we transform our systems so that they reflect our values and take care of all of us. You can follow Nalini on Instagram at Nell Stamp, Anasa at Anasa Troutman, Angel at Zen Change Angel and Kareen at Kareen.luck. Check out the show notes for more on their work in the world. Special thanks to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. And to our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love, y'all, by telling your friends to check us out.